At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. the VEASAN studio inside the South Point Sportsbook. Joined on the desk today by Wes Reynolds. Wes Reynolds on the desk here. And we're ready to talk about game two of the NBA Finals going on tonight. We have Suns and Bucks. The Suns obviously lead the series 1-0 after that game one win. Uh, But this line opened five and a half. Now four and a half. Total opened at 221 and a half. Even 220 and a half to 220s floating around there in the total. Uh, So Wes, initial thoughts for tonight's game. Yeah, there are also some fives out there. But four and a half, as you mentioned, pretty much more widely spread there are some five so obviously shop around and I can understand why Milwaukee is getting the money here just kind of on the basis of that zigzag which we know is about like 50% long term so not necessarily I think a good reason to bet that but if you go back since 2010 game one favorites uh, in the in the NBA finals that win game one and then are favorites in game two only four and six next time out in game two and only three and seven against the spread so so a little bit of a feather, perhaps, in, in Milwaukee's cap. And also, when you look at the first game, Danielle, I think Milwaukee actually shot the ball well from three, 16 to 36, 44%. I would expect that's going to regress a little bit simply because they've been 31% in the playoffs. But really, what was one of the big differences in the game is obviously at the foul line, where the Suns were 25 to 26, missed a free throw there in the final minute. They would have went perfect for the game. But they got a little bit of a friendly whistle, I thought, in game one. They would have deserved team that deserved to win the game but they did get a friendly whistle a little bit of home cooking so I think that's going to even out here in game two a little bit so we'll see how the Bucks adjust uh, if they kind of switch their coverages a little bit once we get to the props maybe a little bit more Drew Holiday on Chris Paul instead of Holiday pretty much on Booker shadowing him the whole game and then we'll see how they decide to play the big guys too if you're going to see a little bit less of Brooke Lopez which you did see in the second half really kind of from the mid third quarter on you saw a lot less Brooke Lopez and a lot more Giannis and Tucker as kind of the two undersized bigs so to speak in terms of playing defense but I do like the Bucks here at plus five also like a little bit of first half maybe split it half and half plus two and a half for the first half I expect a much stronger start from Mike Budenholzer's team tonight and also uh, kind of waiting to see what's going to happen on this total right here at the South Point it's 221 and a half that's the market high and I do lean to the under a little bit because I think you're going to see some adjustments with both of these teams Phoenix maybe not getting as good of looks from the field as they got in game one and also you just expect that the defense kind of by its nature tightens up a little bit in game two the pace in game one by the way was 105.1 if you look at what Phoenix and Milwaukee have played to from a pace number standpoint so far in these playoffs Phoenix was at 95.6 through the first three rounds, and Milwaukee was at 97.6. So this thing played a little bit faster. Now I think with Giannis back in the fold, I think the defense is going to be better. I know when you get a big-time score back in the lineup, you kind of immediately want to gravitate toward the over. But I think it's going to be more of an under game here tonight. 
Well, you mentioned Giannis. Obviously, that was the big question mark in game one. We weren't sure what we were going to see from him or if we were going to see him at all. We did. And I think the general consensus, at least here at VSIN, was that he looked a lot better than we expected. So with that in mind, how does that affect how you would approach the prop market for tonight? Yeah. And what you would want to look at, obviously, is what the Bucks are going to do defensively. So when I was looking at the props tonight, one of the things I want to do, because I often say how betters like to bet what they see last, Danielle, and really it kind of can apply a little bit as and as we get into the NFL here this fall, it'll be more pronounced. Betters often weigh primetime games more than they do non-primetime games. And obviously all these games are in prime time, so that's not the analogy here. But it's really, Chris Paul has posted these big numbers in terms of like closeout games. He had big scoring in Denver in the closeout game, big scoring uh, in the next round against the Clippers in the closeout game, and then obviously in game one. So now you see 21 and a half, some 22 and a half at DraftKings with some bigger big. And I would actually look to the under on the points because I do think think Milwaukee is going to put Drew Holiday, their best defender, a little bit more on Chris Paul where he's not on Booker the whole game. So I'm actually going to go against what we saw last, go against the grain here. And I like Chris Paul on the under points. Well, what you're talking about there, obviously the recency bias, right? Mm -hmm. So that's what we're seeing with those numbers. Um, I know that JVT, when I had him hosting with me earlier this week, was talking a lot about Drew Holiday. He was talking about how we needed to see more production from him. I asked him about his consistency because that's been a concern. And so we're still looking to see if we're going to get something from him that we need. He's got to be big tonight no question about it they do need more out of him for sure well we'll continue this conversation right here on my guys in the desert Welcome into My Guys in the Desert. I'm Danielle Avari here at the V-CIN studio inside the South Point Sportsbook with Wes Reynolds on a Thursday. We have a great lineup of guests today. Lots of guests going to be joining us. In a couple minutes, we'll bring in Kenny White, professional handicapper. A little bit later on, we'll also bring in Patrick Everson, Covers.com senior reporter. Uh, in the second hour, we'll get to hear from Tom Byrne from Mad Dog Sports Radio. And we'll also bring in John Annick to talk all things UFC. So lots to look forward to in the next couple hours here. But Wes and I were just getting into NBA finals game two tonight Suns and Bucks obviously the Suns lead the series uh, by one game here we were just talking a little bit about the props market here I know you talked about the Bucks side of things where would you look on the Suns side of things yeah and I'll cycle back to what I was talking about with Chris Paul in terms of in the big closeout games in the feature games he has been outstanding from a scoring standpoint 37 against the Nuggets in that closeout game then even was better against the Clippers with 41 and then had 32 in game one against Milwaukee 12 and 19 from the field so you look though without those games 22 and a half 21 and a half depending on what the vig is based on your shop i think it's 21 and a half at betmgm he's actually gone under 22 and a half in 11 of the 15 playoff games when i talk about those closeout games in game one where he's gone over the total and then you look at the regular season he's gone under 22 and a half points in 58 of 70 games now you don't want to put too much stock into that namely because he's playing more minutes here in the playoffs uh so Chris Paul is not necessarily a big-time scorer night in and night out. Now, he gives you everything else. He gives his passing. He gives defense. He gives leadership. His all-around game in terms of distributing the ball, obviously, to the hot shooters and the big-time scorers. And 
you know, a lot of these high scoring games too, he was unconscious from the threes. If you look at those two games, those closeout games, I think he was 11 of 15 from the three. So you got to think that that's going to be unsustainable. So that's why I was looking at Chris Paul a little bit on the under points. And I thought that that made a little bit of sense. And I think if you switch Drew Holiday on him a little bit, where he's not exclusively almost 100% of the possessions on Devin Booker, I think that's going to limit Chris Paul a little bit. So there is some heavy big. I think if you want to bet it at 22 and a half, last I checked at DraftKings, I think it was like minus 140 or somewhere in that range. MGM, obviously 21 and a half. But I do like Chris Paul on the under points. And then to the Bucks side, you were talking about what John Von Doble was discussing in terms of you need more out of Drew Holiday. He needs I, to step up. People keep yeah. looking at Chris Middleton, but what about Drew Holiday? Yeah, and I think you do need more, not only as a scorer, but that might mean if he's scoring that he's going to be everywhere on offense. So you can maybe look at the over rebounds prop or perhaps the over assist prop. I think the rebounds I saw was like four and a half. And there it is right there on the graphic at BetMGM. Probably some big attached to that. But he's gone over that mark, I think, in 10 of 18 playoff games. So, you know, you got to lay a substantial vig, but... I do think if he's going to play higher minutes, you're going to have to have him be active on the rebounding because they're not only going to need his scoring, they're going to need his defense if that Chris Paul prop is going to come through. I think he's going to need to kind of switch off and defend both guys. So on the Bucks side, I'd be looking at Holiday. And also, this might be a minutes play. I'm interested to see what Bud is going to do with Brooke Lopez because Brooke Lopez did not play in the fourth quarter. And I think, you know, it was like maybe the four-minute mark. I might be off a little on my time frame there. But Brooke Lopez, they didn't have him out there because he was kind of all over the place, and, and they were really kind of getting him on an island in that pick and roll between Paul and Devin Booker. So what Bud elected to do was go with P.J. Tucker and Giannis, kind of a little bit of a smaller lineup, which is a little bit what the Clippers did, and I think you may see more of the same tonight. So you could look maybe at Lopez in terms of his under combined props or, or pick or choose one of the two, but I do think his minutes are probably going to go down a little bit, and Bud has got to rely on Giannis and Tucker together because they can switch a little bit. And the Bucks, I think, do want to switch more than that. They don't have to switch everything, but they do want to switch off these shooters, and that's going to be a tough deal for Brooke Lopez. Definitely something to consider. And I, when I just look on the other side of the board with the Suns, it's really hard to bet when you see that they have such evenly distributed offense on their side mm -hmm. a little bit. So I uh, have to get a little bit more creative with those props. When we take a look at the series prices, though, here, is there anything worth betting or looking at at this point? Um, I know when JVT was on, we talked about uh, what we thought the series was going to go to, but this was before game one even happened. And, you know, we both kind of agreed Suns in six at this point. Not a lot of reason to change that opinion. But as far as the series is concerned, Suns are the favorite here at minus 300 and the Bucks plus 240. I haven't gotten involved yet from a series standpoint. I would kind of be maybe looking at the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, I think 250 is the highest I've seen really in the market. Actually, I'm wrong, 255 here at the South Point. But by and large, about that same price, around that 250 range. I kind of wanted a little bit more. I think tonight is going to really tell, and I haven't gotten involved. I usually like to get involved on that dog in game one, but I have not done it from this standpoint because I want to see if the adjustments are made properly on defense and if the Bucks can execute those adjustments which they did not do in game one and then that might give me a little bit more confidence that the Bucks can be in this series definitely well let's bring in a little bit uh, more insight to this conversation as well let's bring in yeah. Kenny White professional handicapper Kenny thanks so much for making some time for us yeah hi Daniel hi Wes thanks for having me and uh, should be an interesting game tonight you know it's it's all I guess comes down to Giannis and mm -hmm. how healthy he is and how much he can actually uh, uh give his team uh, he did not play great in game one, obviously, and that's why they lost. If he plays great, they probably win the game. 
Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the sentiment on game one as well. We weren't sure what we were going to see from him, if we were going to see from him, how many minutes. Uh, and so we did get a look at him at least, so we have something to go off of for game two. Do you think there's any value in the underdog here, the Bucks getting five points in some books? I see four and a half most places, but a potential bounce back spot for them tonight? Yeah, I do, just because I think Giannis will be better tonight. Uh, Milwaukee's always been a better home team than road team, which doesn't suit them well in Phoenix, and it's a great home court, but... Maybe with that win, Phoenix really dominated from from the you know the a second half. Basically, the second half they dominated this basketball game, and maybe that will just make them a little overconfident here tonight. I think this game comes more back to uh, where it should be in a tight contest, right down to the wire, giving either team a chance to win. So yeah, I think there's value with Milwaukee. And again, Giannis's first game back, you could tell the knee was a little gimpy, but I think the second game he'll be much better because I think he can trust himself that he knows where he's at, what he's doing, and he's going to be okay. Kenny, on the series right now, Bucks about basically on average plus 250, Phoenix at minus $3. Any value on the Bucks you think here? I was kind of a, a little bit back and forth on it, elected to pass in terms of getting involved in the series, but do you think at 250, any value here on Milwaukee? Yeah, I do. A couple of sharp books that I follow to try to figure out where the, where the other wise guys are all going. Uh, I'm seeing plus 230 and plus 235. Uh, that plus 255 at the South Point is the high mark of anywhere that I see. So, yeah, the, at 255, definitely a lot of value there. Kenny, in terms of the total for tonight, I know we're seeing a little bit of movement. In game one, we saw this open around 217. It worked its way all the way up to 220 before game time. We found out Giannis was in, still kind of held around there, 219.5. And tonight, we're seeing the total sitting at 221.5 right now, uh, 220 in some spots. What do you think we're going to see in that regard? Yeah, I, I like the game over. You know, I liked what Wes was talking about. Brooke Lopez not playing the fourth quarter because he wasn't able to make the correct switches in, in timely enough manner to stop Phoenix's offense. Well, Phoenix likes to get fast, and so does Milwaukee. Milwaukee pushed that pace. There was 100 possessions in game one, and there was basically a few possessions at the end of the game because it was a double-digit lead. Uh, this game could go back and forth at the end in the fourth quarter, and we could see 103 or 104 possessions tonight. That would really help this total get over. The average total so far in the playoffs has been 222 and a half. The average final score has been 221. These two teams rank in the above uh, um, textile in, in scoring for, for every team that was in the playoffs and in pace. So I thought this total should have been about 225, 226. Kenny, in terms of how the game we think might be officiated tonight, I think Phoenix did get a friendly whistle in game one, 25 to 26 from the foul line. And, you know, you often see when you have that kind of discrepancy, I think maybe it zigzags at least a little bit the other way from the officiating standpoint, because look, these guys are human too. And these guys read, they're like, okay, we got to try to balance this out a little bit in game two. Do you anticipate that that's going to be at least a little bit more evenly officiated tonight in favor of Milwaukee? Yeah, I, I wish I had some data to back it up and, and, and go back to look and see how many fouls were called against one team and, and, and to see if it does balance out. I would guess, you know, you make common sense there to me, Wes. Uh, I would think it would balance out in, in the long run, but does it balance out tonight or does it balance out in Milwaukee? Because over all the studies I've done for home court advantage, it's the crowd noise getting on the officials to call fouls for their team and against the other team. So uh, that worked and it, it does work. And it's, it's, you're right. They're, they're human beings. Uh, they get into the game and they hear the crowd and they start calling fouls against the opponent. 
Yeah, we'll definitely be exciting to see what happens tonight, what we see from Giannis and what we see, obviously, from the officiating. Uh, let's look ahead to tonight's baseball card. I know you have some action here, Kenny. What are you looking to play? I know you have something on the Pirates and Mets game. Yeah, this should be a good game tonight, I think, uh, pitching-wise. JT Brubaker I, I, Brubaker, I really like this young guy. I shouldn't say young guy. He's actually 27 or 28 now, but he's hasn't been around long. But I, I like his stuff. Uh, got very good command, just 1.94 walks per nine innings. His XFIP is 3.85 in his 15 starts. He's coming off two horrendous starts. I think he rebounds tonight against a weak-hitting Met team. Uh, on the other side, uh, Marcus Stroman's had a great year, but his last two starts have not been very good as well. That was against Philadelphia and the Yankees. I expect him to rebound, so it's kind of a, a do factor here for both pitchers to do well. I'm going to go under the total of seven and a half. And uh, one thing that we see, Kenny mentioned the Mets weak hitting lineup, also the Pirates. These are the lowest two in runs per game in all of Major League Baseball. And I agree with Kenny's assessment, especially on Brubaker. But another game, Kenny, you're looking at, and you're looking to go over the total. Scooball's been a little bit better lately for Detroit, but still has a very high hard hit rate. Uh, gets a lot of balls hit hard right back at him. And he's going against J.A. Happ tonight. Tigers kind of hanging in there, just seven games under 500. I think they've been better than anticipated. Obviously, the Twins have not. Bottom of the barrel right now in the AL Central. You like runs here tonight in Minneapolis. Yeah, you know, I always say that 25% of all games, that the outcome is a fluke. Uh, you just can't explain why. And no one can explain to me how Scooble could go seven innings and allow just one hit to the Astros' lineup. Right. That was his hit next to the last game. Um, throw out that game, and Scooble's ERA for the year is close to five. Uh, he's got average big league stuff. He rates right now in my power ratings 15 cents a below average uh, major league pitcher. Uh, J.A. Happ, even worse. See, boy, he's like falling off the map. He had a decent year last year for the Yankees, but that was pitching in Yankee Stadium where lefties actually do well. Pitching for the Twins, uh, not a good stadium to pitch in. The wind predominantly blows from right field to left field, so lefties don't fare as well. He's got an ERA over six. He's rated 45 cents below average. He's one of the lowest pitchers in baseball that I have rated out right now. So, yeah, I'm going to go over the total. I think both guys get hit tonight. Well, taking a look here at the AL Central standings, obviously, the Twins have been kind of a big disappointment here. What has been your general reaction to the AL Central so far? Yeah, I went with a long shot to start the year, the Cleveland Indians, but, boy, they're not playing well now. Nine-game losing streak. Uh, they've had some injuries. The pitching staff has kind of fallen apart a little bit. Uh, the White Sox have done everything right all season long. Uh, the Twins, I think, have enough talent to turn this around. Um, I don't know if Cleveland does or not at this point, but uh, the White Sox definitely uh, big favorites to win the division, and they should win this division easily. Kenny, good pitching matchup late night tonight on the West Coast. You Darvish and Max Scherzer are going to go head to head, and a lot of been talk. A lot of talk has been obviously about the sticky stuff and the spin rates, but you still got two guys that I think are very much pitching well and still striking a lot of guys out, especially Max Scherzer. So you really haven't seen the drop off in these guys' numbers that I think you've been seeing with some of the other guys, Trevor Bauer, of course, Garrett Cole, some other big name pitchers in Major League Baseball. But we've got. Washington in San Diego right night uh, tonight and uh, Scherzer's been battling and really been good all season if if it wasn't for Jacob deGrom you maybe could make an argument that one of these two would be right up there for the Cy Young Award where are you thinking tonight with Nats and Pods yeah no doubt Wes and I, I back Scherzer his last outing against the Dodgers at home and that was because it was at home and his numbers were so impressive and he pitched a great game 
Uh, he just didn't go far enough. The bullpen couldn't hold the three-to-one lead that he left with that night. Uh, he's been snubbed. He's not an all-star this year, which is shocking because I think he's top 10 category in, in mostly every pitching uh, category. And a guy like this with his reputation usually just gets in. But he didn't get in. You Darvish is an all-star. Uh, and again, I usually like to have things to back it up. And I used to follow this all the time that I knew how strong it was. And it was about a 50-cent advantage betting against pitchers Going to the All-Star game, their start before the All-Star game, those guys were looking ahead to that weekend and did not pitch well. I haven't kept that up in probably 15 years, but I still rely on it that it did well back then. I figure it still does to this day. But All-Star snubs do very well. So you got the All-Star snub going with Scherzer against Darvish. I'm not going to rely on the bullpen tonight. I'm just going to go the first five innings and take the Nationals plus a dime. Yeah, and you mentioned that bullpen, Kenny. 413, the ERA for the Nats, 291 for the Padres, best in all of Major League Baseball. So good idea, I think, if you're going to play this one to go first five, Danielle. Uh, Kenny, uh, do you, what do you make of this uh, hot streak the Nats have been on lately? Do you think it's for real, or do you think they're just kind of hitting the lick here? No, I think they're for real. This is a very good team. Uh, I think they got a solid pitching staff and, and a very, very good offense. So. Uh, it was one of the teams, Washington. I I expected it to be Washington, Atlanta, uh, down to the wire to win the East this year, and it very well could be at the end. I think both those teams will start to get hot. The Mets have been a a huge surprise with all of the injuries they've had, but I think they're starting to uh, starting to fall apart just a little bit, and I think you're going to see Atlanta and Washington close that gap. All right, Kenny White, professional handicapper. You can find him on Twitter at kwhiteyvegas. Kenny, thanks so much for making the time. Thank you for having me. We'll talk next week. We'll do some uh, football previews. Some That's right. Previews Looking forward week. to it. Absolutely. That's right. As Kenny said, we're going to get into some, some college football conference previews next week. Can you believe we're already here and ready to talk about college football, Wes? I know. Well, I'm not used to the NBA Finals being in July either. So this condensed sports schedule, we don't have any time off. No days off here at Beeson. Yeah, it's a whole new year, obviously. But coming up next, we'll talk about the PGA and early 2022 NHL futures. The Stanley Cup finished last We'll talk about it next on My Guys in the Desert. into the oddstrader.com studio at the South Point Casino. Make sure you check out oddstrader.com and remember you can download the free oddstrader app right now and start winning with the up to the second info you need. Daniel Alvarez and Wes Reynolds back here on My Guys in the Desert ready to take a look at some PGA action going on. It is the first round of the John Deere Classic today underway. Wes what does the leaderboard look like, and how are your bets looking? Yeah, Ches Revy and Camilo Vijegas, the leaders in at seven under par. They went out this morning. We're currently in the middle of the afternoon flight here. But John Deere Classic, always a birdie fest. So mm -hmm. just going to be who's going to make the most putts coming down on Sunday. Got a couple guys with decent rounds here in the afternoon. Kyle Stanley, I bet at 60 to 1. He is currently four under par. few holes left to finish up. Jonathan Vegas at three under par. So if you're a few back, 
you know, not to worry because you can obviously card low rounds here at the John Deere Classic at TPC Deer Run. So I think the course record here is 59. So you can card some 63s and maybe some 62s out there. None out there today, but 64 so far, the leader with Ches Reeve and Camilo Vijegas. I like that expression, birdie fest. Uh, Teddy Greenstein mentioned it yesterday as well about yeah. this tournament. Uh, but another uh, tournament also wrapped up Scottish Open. How did that look? Yeah, this is actually a better field of the yeah. two this week because you do have four of the top five official world golf rated players. And the current favorite right now, John Rahm at plus 350. We didn't know how Rahm was going to be off winning his U.S. Open. Kind of that's really a tough spot after the first major. But just fine, thank you. Five under 66 <laughs> here, tied for fourth. Justin Thomas, also one of the top five rated players in the world. Six under 65, not the leader. Englishman Jack Sr. got in with the 64-7 under par. Lee Westwood also in there with the nice 65-6 under par. Tommy Fleetwood was a guy I was hoping would just kind of play okay here because I want to really bet him for the Open Championship next week at Royal St. George. But five under par, a lot of guys at five under par, including one of my guys, Ian Poulter. So had some solid guys. Basically only one guy would be outside the cut line of the futures that I bet right now. So wide open here. Scoring should be low. It's raining there every day over here in Scotland. This course just about 20 miles east of the capital city, Edinburgh. So it's raining over there, but the wind isn't really blowing. So I was wondering how the scoring was going to be because 11 under was the winner of this thing when it was real wet and nasty and windy and then 22 under the year before in 2019. So this is obviously a very scorable course. I would expect somewhere around 20 under par is going to go ahead and win this thing. So right now, John Rahm plus 350, Justin Thomas five to one, the recently married Xander Shoffley at nine to one. So that's three or your four or three of the top five players in the world, basically top of the odds board at DraftKings. Well, Mazel Tov to Xander there. I didn't know about his recent nuptials, but Wes is always on that. He's always got it dialed in. And the uh, TMZ of Visa in here. Yeah, we think you have like a master calendar somewhere of everybody's wedding anniversaries, their birthdays, just always on top of it. Uh, but some big news, uh, exciting celebratory news actually last night for the Lightning. They clinched the Stanley Cup last night as the favorites. Also, Andre Vasilevsky won the Conn Smythe Trophy, and books have already released their lines on next year's Stanley Cup future so we can take a look at these but I know Wes you also have some things to point out uh, when taking a look at these uh, moving forward the avalanche of the short shot here at five to one the golden Knights six to one and the lightning back-to-back -back champs going for a three-peat at seven to one yeah this is going to be at least a little bit adjusted here over the next month or so because July 23rd is going to be the NHL draft and then five days after that Wednesday July 28th is when NHL free agency in essence begins a lot of big names out there in the free agent class, though. Alexander Ovechkin, the leading name out there from the Washington Capitals. He is a free agent, as is Gabriel Landeskog of the Colorado Avalanche, Taylor Hall and David Krejci for the Boston Bruins, Dougie Hamilton. Uh, teach me how to Dougie. Teach me how to cash in on free agency. He is the top free agent defenseman from Carolina. So we'll see if they elect to sell high here and maybe do a sign and trade or go ahead and re-sign him. A couple goaltenders out there as well. Tuka Rask there in Boston, Philip Grubauer in Colorado. Colorado, Chris Dreiger in Florida are also free agents. So when I just look at this at first glance, and obviously I haven't gone knee deep in the weeds here just one day after the season concluded, Boston Bruins, Carolina Hurricanes, kind of at least a little bit below that first tier at 15 to 1, Golden Knights at 6 to 1. 
you're never going to get a real bargain on the Golden Knights from a future standpoint. This was the team that, of course, knocked out the President's Trophy winner, Avalanche, at 5-1. to one. So I think the Avs probably the rightful favorites here. We'll see what they do with Landeskog going forward in free agency. But Tampa Bay, 7-1, to one, of course, trying to go for a three-peat. But, boy, that's tough to do. And it's tough to keep all that depth together on these teams. So haven't gotten involved yet. But this is unlike the NBA market where you maybe see six to eight teams that, like, yeah, they can win the championship. Grab in the NHL, yeah. you got about half the league that's like, yeah, they can win the cup. And maybe you want to wait for some of this free agency to shake out before you grab one of those future tickets. Yeah, no question about it. All right. Well, next up, we'll travel across the pond. We'll talk about Wimbledon and we'll preview tomorrow's men's semifinals right here on My Guys in the Desert. is your betting headquarters for UFC 264 and we're bringing you in-depth analysis of the McGregor Poirier main event plus key bouts on the undercard from our full team of experts including Lou Finicaro, Reed Kuhn and Jordan Sherwood. Sign up for the free VSIN newsletter to receive our digital guide and tune in Saturday at noon Eastern for First Strike, our live preview show with updates from all of our fight experts. Get everything you need for betting on UFC 264 and sign up now for the free UFC 264 betting guide at vcin.com slash free. Daniel Alvari, Wes Reynolds back here on My Guys in the Desert. Wes, are you excited for the fights this weekend? I am. A lot of events here this weekend, of course, and we'll get to that with John Anik in the second hour. Yeah. Big UFC 264 card at T-Mobile Arena. Garth Brooks at Allegiant Stadium. And Who then, could uh, forget? Yeah, Joe Rogan and Dave Chappelle are going to be doing a show at the MGM Grand, and then they're going to have a viewing party if you don't have a ticket for this sold-out fight at T-Mobile Arena. So it's going to be busy on that corridor with the I-15 in the west end of the Las Vegas Strip. So uh, be patient if you're in traffic or waiting for an Uber. Or stay in like I do. Yeah, or, uh, or don't go and maybe uh, go to your neighborhood bar and watch the fight. Yeah, just watch some sports. So let's go across the pond to Wimbledon. Women's semis wrapped up today. So Ash Barty uh, over Angelique Kerr. And then Pliskova over Sabalenka, upsetting because I do have a future on Ash Barty plus 410, but I also had Sabalenka at plus 710, so I was kind of hoping that one would come home, but that's all right. Uh, so were you surprised by either of these results here, Wes? Not really. Uh, and Barty, I'm kind of having buyer's remorse because I thought at 6-1 to one pre-tournament, I wanted a little bit better price, given the fact that she had not played mm-hmm. any grass events. Uh, she's the best grass court player in the world, clearly. But pulled out of the French Open with an injury. Didn't play Eastbourne, which is one of the big tournament events on the women's side on grass. So I did not get involved, really, from that standpoint. I had the over in games, which pushed this morning. But if you look at Barty against Pliskova, 5-2 and two head-to-head. They're 1-1. One and one. They split on grass. But this was several years ago. I think Pliskova won the first one in Nottingham back in 2012 and then Barty won again in 2016. Barty obviously a much better grass court player and really the best grass court player in the world. So she is seeing the money and I think with Barty she did struggle a little bit in in her first round match. She had the Wiley veteran Carla Suarez Navarro who took her three sets but as she went on 
I think she got confident. I think the draw shook out well for her. Obviously, the big win this morning. And now you're looking at some of the prices. I thought I saw 220 as the opener on Ash Barty. And now you're seeing about 260 in the market and some 250s and 260s. So she's getting the early money. Winner uh, 6376 over Angelique Kerber. Who uh, and and even I thought that that price came out a little high. I ended up staying away, but I I thought maybe Kerber would have got more respect in the market. Even though she's a little bit older, she's a former Wimbledon champion. She's a three-time Slam winner. You thought okay maybe this is going to be the test for Ash Barty. Not so much. Relatively competitive two-set match, seven-six uh, tiebreaker in the third. But uh, Ash Barty moves on against Carolina Pliskova. I think the rightful favorite. I'll probably look to maybe play like the games, the plus or minus games, or perhaps the over-under total games, because I think this price is about right. Well, we do have the men's semis going on tomorrow, and obviously Djokovic and Berrettini are still the favorites to win the whole thing at the top here. So Djokovic obviously sitting at minus 360, just a very heavy favorite, and the Matteo Berrettini at plus 550. Uh, so semis tomorrow, what are you expecting to see? Is there anything you like action-wise? Yeah, Joker, by the way, is 6-1 and one against Shap- Shapovalov in the Canadian in terms of career, but the one loss he does have is on grass at what was called the Boodles Tennis Challenge. He lost in straight sets on grass to Chapo, the Canadian, but I don't think that's going to happen this time. And really, Novak Djokovic, when you look at him, he probably could be sharper. I mean, he's played, I think, good and okay, but he hasn't been, I think, maybe by his usual standard, his usual very high standard. Mm-hmm. And as he goes for now a 20th Grand Slam, which would, of course, tie him with Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal and support my claim when I said I already think Djokovic is the greatest men's player of all time, even though he has one last slam. And, you know, friendly little debate on social media with some of the Twitterati that say, well, he's not the greatest yet because he doesn't have 20 like these other two guys. But if you look head to head, he has a winning record both against Nadal and Roger Federer. So Djokovic looks like he's about to tie for history at this standpoint, minus 360. I think he's going to get there over Chapeau. It's just, do you want to say games or do you think Chapeau can get a set and maybe go ahead and take the over in terms of the total games. That's something you can bet. I'm just looking at the total right now to see what's out there. I think it's 32 and a half, 33 combined total games that you could bet if you think Chapo is going to go ahead and get a set. And he's taken a little bit of the money. People have taken some shots at a big dog from the opener, and he's about an $8 dog, pretty much market consensus. But I think Joker is going to advance to the final easily. Well, you did bring up Roger Federer, too, and so it kind of brings up a question that Gil brought up, actually, on Primetime Action last night. I mean, obviously, kind of a not-super-graceful exit for him in this. No. And is it time for him to maybe call call it a career, a great one? Well, he might want to start kind of the farewell tour like Coach K at Duke this yeah. year, where this is kind of your <laughs> goodbye tour, and every tournament you go to, they give you some kind of plaque or a rocking chair or some kind of gift or some cufflinks or something. You know, it was just sad to see with Roger Federer, who's now about to turn 40. He had never been bageled in a set at Wimbledon before, and the last time he actually got bageled in a set, I believe, was to Rafael Nadal at the 2008 French Open, and of course, not really a lot of shame in that considering it's one of the greatest players ever and the greatest player ever on the clay court surface at Roland Garros so 
you know, Roger Federer, I mean, Father Time is undefeated, and I tweeted that the other day, and it was kind of sad to see. He's like the old fighter that he's got the will, but just the body isn't going to match up with it. So we'll see, and the beneficiary of that was Herbert Herkes, the uh, Polish seed 14 player, and he's going to go against Matteo Berrettini. They've only faced twice in their career. They both split on hard courts. Berrettini won in 2018 in the Australian Open qualifier. Herkes won in 2019 down in Miami at the uh, – tennis ATP tennis masters event they have down there in Miami in the spring. So little trickle of money on her here, but sometimes when you beat the big player, when you beat a legend like Roger Federer, now you've got to get back up for the semifinals and be like, I'm two wins away from winning Wimbledon here. So I like Berrettini a little bit better. If this gets maybe to like 180 or 190, I would lay it with Matteo Berrettini. But Herkass certainly getting the money, and that's no surprise when you just beat one of the greatest of all time. Yeah, and I mean, especially at the value, he's sitting at 14 to 1. Berrettini at plus 550. Those are a lot better, obviously, than Djokovic, but it looks like his to lose at this point. And as far as Roger Federer, yes, turns 40 next month, and he said that he hopes he's not done. He said the goal is to play on. You know, our producer and I, Ben Wilson, were talking about that yesterday, and we said, you know, maybe what he does is one more year. He doesn't play the French Open because he oftentimes skips the French. He didn't this year. And then maybe says goodbye next summer at the All England Club at Wimbledon. Well, incredible career if he does decide to do it this year, next year, whatever it is. Uh, first to 20 Grand Slam titles. Um, obviously, Nadal's done that since then. Uh, and his tally of 103 titles, second only to Jimmy Connors' record of 109. So, incredible career. We'll see what we'll see from him. The goal is to play on. Uh, next up, we'll bring in Patrick Everson, senior reporter for Covers.com, right here on My Guys in the Desert. OddsTrader.com studio at the South Point Casino. Make sure you check out OddsTrader.com. And remember, you can download the free OddsTrader app right now and start winning with the up-to-the-second info you need. Danielle Avari and Wes Reynolds back here on My Guys in the Desert and ready to bring in our guest uh, for this block, Patrick Everson, senior reporter for Covers.com. Patrick, thanks so much for taking the time for us today. Absolutely. Danielle, it is nice to make your acquaintance via, via radio. We'll have to meet in person at some point. And Wes, of course, always good to talk to Wes. Yeah, so, well, uh, we were just Twitter friends before now, so I like meeting my Twitter friends. This is We're taking it one step at a time. Twitter, then radio, then in person. I think that's best. Uh, so let's start there with taking go. a look at what the books are seeing for Game 2 tonight of the NBA Finals. Suns and Bucks, what is the latest? Well, I'll give you a couple, of, a couple of mixes here, which I think is good to get out of Las Vegas a little bit and then into Las Vegas. Uh, I was talking about this with Zachary Lucas at Twin Spire Sportsbook. And much like everywhere else, Suns open five and a half, down to four and a half. And at Twin Spires, the Bucks, the, the, the numbers kind of line up with that, the ticket count and the money count, 62% of bets, 60% of money on Milwaukee, on the dog. And Zachary said that was a mix of public and sharp play, so a little bit of sharp play on the underdog tonight. But when you jump over to William Hill U.S., and I believe these are William Hill numbers specifically for Nevada, uh, not nationwide, although they did include a, a major wager I'll tell you about, but 
Nick Bogdanovich said in a release that came out a little bit ago that Phoenix has taken the bulk of the tickets and money, 61% of tickets, 84% of money. So, you know, the dollar is quite a bit higher than the, uh, than the ticket percentage uh, on the sun. So I think it's just kind of interesting to see the difference when you're talking about a book that operates in other states and, and what's going on right here in Nevada. Yeah, and you do kind of have two conflicts a little bit here, Patrick, because we know betters like to bet what they saw last, and they're obviously not dis- dissuaded necessarily from betting the Suns, but we also got that zigzag that betters like to play where it's like, okay, this is yep. where Milwaukee evens it up. So no surprise to see two-way action. How about on the total here? We know that it did kind of sneak over at the last minute there with the three there in the final minutes, but uh, Giannis back in the lineup, so I think a lot of betters are kind of like, okay, this is obviously a big time score we want to look to the over because his points are back in the lineup but his defense is also back in the lineup which Milwaukee sorely needed if you watch that game one performance what are we seeing on the total tonight yeah it's interesting you bring that up Nick Bogdanovich said to your point on the Suns the Suns have treated betters pretty well in the playoff and they're and and they're looking at the over at, at William Hill U.S. as well after what they saw in, in game one, hoping to get rewarded once again. So William Hill, but, but that said, at William Hill U.S., it's pretty much two-way action on the total, 54% of tickets, 54% of dollars. And similar numbers, if we look out of state, go to Twin Spires, and, and the info that Zachary Lucas just shot over to me a little bit ago. Um, and just some movement here, too, 220.5 opener, down to 219.5, now back to 220.5. And the over taking 58% of tickets, 66% of money. Still not an overwhelming amount of, of money on the over, but a, but a decent margin there. Um, but, 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 you know, close to two-way action on that. So I think that's uh, fascinating as well. And it speaks to your point, Wes, that, you know, if, if Giannis is just a little bit more healthy tonight than he was two nights ago and can be a little bit more of a, of a, of a force on defense as well than, than, than maybe the under supply. Patrick, uh, the main event here in Las Vegas from a sports standpoint, at least this weekend is UFC 264, Dustin Poirier, Conor McGregor, their third of their trilogy, and they're going to meet up and look, uh, no title fights on this UFC card, but when it's Conor McGregor fighting, eyeballs are going to be watching and people are going to be betting. Looks like what we've seen so far though, is the early action has been on Poirier, but I, I expect that you're going to see a lot of lopsided action the other way come this weekend. Yeah, no question. I'm sure it's going to be a real popular play behind you uh, going on the on the underdog now, McGregor, right behind you there at the South Point. I'm sure they're going to see their share of Connor money and books up and down the strip. I talked about this earlier in the week with Nick Kalikas, the MMA odds maker down at Circa, and then just got a little refresh a couple of hours ago just to see where this was going. And to your point, definitely the early money is on Poirier. He said early in the week there were double the tickets and three times the money, and that was and that included you know sharp and public action. In fact, he said there's sharp play on both fighters at this point. But I saw you know, what maybe circle back with Nick this morning was when I saw that Poirier was up to 140 now, minus 140, and he actually opened as an even money underdog. So now he's minus 140. I said, hey, what's what's the situation there? And Nick said, well, we upped our limits this morning to 50,000, and we immediately took a limit bet on Poirier. So that that is the reason why Poirier is sitting minus 140 at Circa, and uh, I mean if you're if you're looking at McGregor, I would say get in on him soon because the money is going to come in this weekend on the on the dog because he is a very public play here. And uh, if you can get him at, uh, at, a, at a plus money price, I say you're doing pretty good. And Patrick, I did read that column. I know Nick Kalikas down there at Circa said. 
on fight day on Saturday, they're going to be taking $100,000 limits on that app. So a lot of money going to be coming in this weekend. We'll see how much of the Irish contingent comes into town. Right, right. No question. It should be really interesting. Patrick, we also saw the Stanley Cup wrap up last night. And already we looked at the futures market for next year. I can't believe they already have these numbers up. They're so quick with it. But this year, how did the books make out futures-wise? And have you seen any bets come in already for next year? A little bit of both, Danielle. So for the most part, I think the books were pretty happy with the, with the Tampa Bay-Montreal final. Uh, you know, Tampa Bay all season long had a relatively short price. And they just, even though they won last year, they just weren't the – you know, the trendy play, the, the fun play, people, much, you know, gravitated more toward, uh, you know, the East, the East Coast teams that they tend to associate a lot more with hockey betting, like the Capitals and, you know, and, and the Bruins and so forth. And, of course, the Avalanche and the Golden Knights, especially the Golden Knights here in Vegas. So that wasn't going to be a bad outcome. And Montreal, even though you could have gotten some big numbers on Montreal, you know, a couple of months back and, and, and even early on in the playoffs when they were down 3-1 to the, to the Maple Leafs, uh, didn't really take any big hits there. There were a few kind of sizable bets at BetMGM when Montreal got down to 10-1 to 1 that would have paid out, you know, high five figures, maybe low six figures. But by then, it, you know, most of the dust had settled on the futures market. So I think they were pretty happy with both of your results. I know the Superbook was thrilled with both of your results. Totally good. Patrick. And then jumping ahead, Danielle, to – go ahead. I'm sorry. No, go, go ahead, ahead, Patrick. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I was just going to say, going to part B of, of Danielle's question – not much going on yet, but at the Superbook, the Avalanche and Golden Knights are the co-first choices, 5-1. to one. And the Lightning, despite being the two-time defending Stanley Cup champs now, the 7-1 to one third choice. And Neil Fitzroy, I talked about it last night, he said, we've really only taken a few bets in this market on anybody. He did point out the expansion, Seattle, Kraken. Is it Kraken or Kraken? I think it's the Kraken, <laughs> they're right? All, tomato, tomato. They're, they're the new team in the <laughs> NHL this year. They're 100 to 1, and they've got four $10 bets on them. So there's $4,000 in liability potentially for the uh, newcomer to the league next season. Yeah, uh, Murray and Sherman and Cornegay and the fellows I know are sweating that action. Not as much as the Golden Knights <laughs> when 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 they were expansion and everybody and their brother had a five or a ten or a twenty dollar ticket on those guys. So they were sweating that action. And Patrick Danielle and I talked about this earlier in the program. Free agency here at the end of the month, I believe Wednesday, July twenty eighth. Some big names out there though that. I don't know quite, and maybe you can answer this in terms of past experience. In the NBA free agent market, if somebody, a big name moves like Kawhi or somebody like that, you immediately see an adjustment. How much adjustments do you really see in this futures market kind of in the free agent time during the summer? Because if you look at the NHL, it's almost like you can make an argument 12 or 15 teams can win the cup next year. You can't really do that in the NBA. No, I think you can definitely make that argument. And I don't know that we'll get as you know as big a, a splash as we might see in, in the NBA from year to year, but I think even the odds kind of bears out that there are a lot of teams that could be in the hunt next season. So we'll make for an interesting free agency period, and definitely keep an eye on your if you like betting futures, keep an eye on that. You might want to. I would recommend sitting tight at least to see how free agency shakes out because. When you're looking at the Superbooks odds, you've got Colorado and Vegas right at the top, Tampa right, Tampa Bay right behind them, and then it's a drop off to 14 to one for the next couple of teams. And I'm going back through it real quick. Uh, I think it's yeah, it's Carolina and Boston, mm-hmm. and then it goes to 25 to one for like a gaggle of teams. So really, 
there's a there's a lot of teams that that look to be in the hunt, and there's there's kind of a segment A, mini segment B, and then segment C, and you know some of those teams are going to come into play. So definitely uh, pay attention to that free agency movement and 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 see what that does to your future numbers as well. Well, speaking of movement like that, something we had to focus on with the college football season as well as the transfer portal where people were going to shake out. And a lot of teams are obviously returning a lot of players this year. We're just a couple months away from week one um, of the NFL season. So various books, they take in any bets on any teams in particular in the NFL side of things or even on the college side. Well, I haven't, haven't looked too much into college yet, but I've delved into the NFL a little bit. Um, I recently did an update. This is going way down the line, but Super Bowl <laughs> futures. And what I thought was interesting about that is, I'm talking about it with Points Bet USA, is this shows this regional bias that's creeping in as sports betting expands across the country. And the Chicago Bears are the hot item with their new quarterback, and just potentially new quarterback in Justin Fields. Obviously, we'll see if he starts or not. But they are, they are quite a liability, the Bears are, to Points Bet USA, thanks to money flooding in in the Chicago market. So I think that's kind of fascinating, and we're going to see more of that as sports betting continues to expand. This regional bias is going to creep in, and it's probably going to lead to different numbers in different states for the same book, depending on how prevalent it is. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely see as more states legalize it, how that's going to affect the handle on things like this. But Patrick, we just we really appreciate you making the time to come on and keep us updated on all of the things going around in sports right now. Absolutely. I appreciate you two having me enjoy what's going to be a huge weekend here in Vegas. You oh, bet, we Patrick. We'll do. Yeah. Do you think he's talking about Garth Brooks there, Wes? He might be. That's uh, the headline. And, right? and, and Dave Chappelle and Joe Rogan doing a show <laughs> at the MGM Grand. So now we're starting to get a lot more shows, but... The early opening residencies, by the way, wait a little bit. I think Bruno Mars opened his residency at Park MGM. I saw tickets were going for like 800 bucks. It's like, wait for him to lose a couple blackjack hands where he has to do an extra show to kind of make good on that debt. And then maybe you can get a little bit of a cheaper price on these shows. But, you know, Vegas is back. We're starting to get some music, and that's a very good thing. Well, you have good advice on just about everything. Uh, well, stick with us, because next hour we'll talk to Tom Byrne from Mad Dog Sports Radio, and we'll bring on John Anik to talk about UFC right here on my guys in the desert.